Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me, as always, is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today? You know, I'm doing pretty good, Robert. I'm, I'm sleepy. It's been a long day, but... I'm making it. I'm ready to talk about the election. Me too. I'm I'm also pretty sleepy. I got to tell you, uh, it was a long night for me last night. Uh, getting get on all this election stuff figured out, getting it so that we're ready to talk to you guys about it today. Yeah, you were you were smart. I think you took the day off work today, though. Yeah, my boss was like, "Why do you need to take today off?" And I was like, "Uh, I gotta uh, make maps. I make, I make these." <laughs> I make these maps yeah. for uh, the election. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, so we're definitely going to be talking about that the entire show. Um, and before we get into that, though, we do want to give uh, a programming update a little bit. So we are going to take next week off. No show next week. And then starting the week after that, we are actually going to move our recording day to Tuesday. So we are going to be recording on Tuesday. It'll, the show will come out Tuesday evening, uh, and then you'll be able to enjoy it probably Wednesday or whatever day you choose. You know, that's the thing about podcasts. They last forever. So uh, hopefully for most of you, you know, if you are in a routine, you can just listen to it that day. Uh, whatever. Not Hopefully it's not th- that big a deal to anybody. But uh, just so you know, you may be seeing my old Kentucky podcast in your podcast feed one day earlier. So that's just a programming update for you guys. No show next week. Starting to record on Tuesdays after that. And with that said, let's get into talking about this election. Okay, Jasmine, I thought we would start with the bad news first. So we'll start by talking about federal races. Uh, yeah, so in the United States Senate, the race was called extremely early for Rand Paul. Um, with over 90% in now, at this point, uh, Rand Paul is winning with 62% of the vote. Um, Jasmine, you actually wrote this segment, so do you want to talk more about it? <laughs> yeah, sure. So... Rand Paul has about 62% to Booker's 38%. And for comparison, so McGrath also got 38%. So she got the same percentage of the vote um, that Charles Booker did um, to McConnell. But McConnell got 57% um, in 2020. Um, But I also looked at Rand Paul's last race, which was when he beat um, former Lexington Mayor Jim Gray in 2016. And he beat Jim Gray 57 to 42%. So that margin was a little bit closer. But, I, you know, I think no matter, like, what way you look at it, all these margins are a little bit different. But this is about what I expected. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I think that... I think that tinkering around the edges by running a different kind of candidate or figuring out like where to strategize, where to put your organizers or where to invest in is just not going to cut it here in Kentucky. If you want to win a federal race, like there has to be like some sort of like fundamental shaking of the political order before, uh, you know, a Senate race or some sort of federal race like this on the statewide level goes for Democrats or, you know, we win a presidential again or something like that. Like it's just it's just, you know. It just feels like there's a ceiling. It just feels like there's a ceiling, and it's right at 40%. I'll say 38% mm-hmm. actually was a little better than I thought Charles Booker was going to do. It was really interesting to kind of see where he did better than Joe Biden. I, had, I I saw a map that the New York Times put up that uh, I posted that showed that like he did significantly better in eastern Kentucky, um, which is just kind of interesting to me. Uh, I you know there, I know that there's a lot of folks down in Eastern Kentucky that really like Donald Trump, and that's probably like a lot of those people just didn't show up because he wasn't on the ballot. But also, I know that Charles Booker went down there quite a bit and, and campaigned there. Um, but like you know, even if you win Eastern Kentucky outright, you've still got so much to overcome in you know, South Central Kentucky, Western Kentucky, like all of the area that's outside of Louisville and Northern Kentucky uh, in in like that part of the state, like in between Louisville, Lexington and Northern Kentucky and the Golden Triangle. Like it's just just really hard to overcome that in, in a federal race. So, you know, I, I really commend Charles Booker for going for it, for trying in this race, for running hard uh, and really doing his best to provide uh, the Democratic message for the people of Kentucky, that's really important to me, so I'm glad he did it. But, yeah, I mean, about what I expected. How about yeah, you? Or you already I, said. It's about, yeah, it's definitely what I expected. I think today a lot of people are upset that Charles Booker didn't have the support of the party that Amy McGrath had um, when she ran against Mitch McConnell and didn't have the money pouring in that she had. But I just think that that race showed us 
no matter who the candidate was, I don't think it was McGrath not being a good candidate. I think the last few federal races have showed us that it's just really tough. And no matter who the candidate is, that that's about what the margin is going to be. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if he would have fared much better against McConnell either, even with that party support. And, and so I, this is about what I expected. If he had a lot more money, he, he probably could have maybe done better than 38. Um, but it, it could have been like 42, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's really hard to beat Rand Paul and Mitch McConnell. It just is. Yep. And Kentucky. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I- so that that's the U.S. Senate race. Um, we realized after we did our election preview that we didn't even talk about federal races. I, I And I think that's it's just really hard to win. I will say we didn't preview them because nothing really happened that I think needed a preview. Pretty much anybody that paid attention saw exactly what was coming and there were no surprises yeah i think that's right and it's the shortest thing in our results portion too so kentucky three was called for morgan mcgarvey um just you know about an hour and a half after uh the senate race was called for Rand paul so morgan mcgarvey defeated republican Stuart ray with 62 percent of the vote and then the other five republican congressmen all held on to their seats in races that were not close at all. Um, the only two Democrats who got over 30% were Jeff Young and Kentucky Six. That's That was the race against Andy Barr. Um, we talked about this a little bit on the show after the primary. Jeff Young did not have the support of the Democratic Party. He's kind of a perennial candidate who's ran several times. But he did get 35% of the vote. Um, there was a write-in candidate that the party was throwing their support towards. But Jeff Young did get 35% of the vote. And then Matt Lehman, who ran against Thomas Massey, got 31% of the vote. Um, but no other candidate got over 30%. Yeah, I will say, like, I had hoped that Matt Lehman would do better. I know that he was really giving it a shot. And, yeah, he was. And it's just, it just feels like there's kind of a hard ceiling. Uh, but I will say about Matt Lehman and about, like, folks like Connor Halbleib and, uh, you know, Hank Linderman and all the, uh, the guys, Jimmy Osbrooks, Jimmy I think, Osbrook. is running in the first. And all of those guys, like, you know, they they all worked hard. They all did what they could. And running is really important. That's something that I think is really important. So, like, I want to just make sure I'm here saying, like, I appreciate them. I yeah. think that it's really important that they did the work that they did. I don't think they should feel embarrassed or ashamed or anything because they lost or that they lost big. Like they did important work and I, and it should be valued. Uh, it's at least valued by me. So, right. You, you, you know, we're, we're never going to like make those inroads. If, if someone isn't like doing the work and letting seats just go unopposed, isn't yeah. going to help us at all. Nope. <laughs> so. Not at all. Absolutely. Uh, okay. So that is federal races. So moving on to talk about state legislature. Uh, all right, so the, the Republicans picked up even more seats than they already had. They started with a 75 to 25 seat margin. They picked up five more seats. They will have an 80 seat caucus this session. And, you know, the reasons for that, redistricting, fundraising, other factors, the thing is, it's it's redistricting. The thing behind them picking up all of these seats is redistricting. So if you want to know who lost, it was Democrats, Angie Hatton, Patty Minter, Charlie Miller, Jeff Donahue, and Buddy Wheatley. Some of our favorites, uh, some great folks that lost their seats. And, and, and yeah, I just will go back to it. The reason these seats were lost was redistricting. I ran the numbers today. Um, based on the previous election results, Democrats would have definitely won Buddy Wheatley's old seat. Um, that seat was cracked into a million different pieces uh covington was just split every which way till sunday um and buddy wheatley ran in the district that he lived in which just included a lot more conservative territory charles booker won his old seat like 60 40 he charles booker lost his recent seat the, the new seat by about eight Buddy Wheatley only lost by like two or three. So, you know, he kept it pretty close in a district that, um, you know, just based on the Senate race was a little further apart. Um, I think that Democrats likely would have carried Jeff Donahue and Patty Minter seats 
uh, I think, uh, yeah, Charles Booker actually won both of those seats. And I think typically, especially with Charles Booker as the candidate who's from who's from Louisville, I think those local candidates uh, and Patty Minters uh, and, and Buddy Wheatley's example would definitely have run you know, run ahead of Charles Booker. I think it's highly likely that Jeff Donahue and Charlie Miller would have also run ahead of of Charles Booker. So, I, I mean, I think those four seats, I, I feel pretty comfortable saying Democrats would have kept them if not for redistricting. The last one's Angie Hatton, and you just can never tell with Angie Hatton. She also got really badly redistricted. Uh, she kept a lot of the same counties, but they moved her from Pikeville, the city, which is you know, got deep Democratic roots, willing to vote for people like Angie Hatton, and they gave her Pikeville County, East Pike, East Pike County, the Creeks uh, is is what I've heard it called before, and and she lost that territory, which is much more Republican, and ended up losing her seat. So it's just really hard to say um, if that one would have stayed in our column, but I think it's 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 safe to say like four of those seats would have remained Democratic if not for redistricting, and I think it's possible that Democrats would have picked up either Maria Sorolas or Kate Turner if they had uh, kept those together. So, you know, that's that's just uh, that's that's what it is. Um, another thing about this, you can tell it's gerrymandering because like uh, there weren't a lot of contested races outside of the ones that Democrats lost in Louisville. But Alvin Gentry, who normally, you know, he's in this sort of like South Central, South Louisville district. He ended up winning by like 10 points because they gave him some of the more Democratic areas that Charlie Miller and uh, and Jeff Donnie, who had had before. Mm-hmm. Um, so he ended up winning much more comfortably. He kind of won the redistricting uh, while his two colleagues ended up losing. Um, we do have the map that we have, and, and we are now looking at a legislature with 80 Republicans and 20 Democrats. The only Democrats from outside Louisville or Lexington are now Rachel Roberts, Derek Graham, and Ashley Tackett-Lafferty. Ashley Tackett-Lafferty won going away. Um, Floyd County came out strong for her. I think her opponent was a little bit... We talked about this. He's a little bit di- more. Di- he's a little bit different from Angie Hatton's uh, uh, opponent, and and she was able to beat beat him. Um, another hold that Democrats had was Sherilyn Stevenson's seat. Um, she was the person. Uh, Jasmine, we talked about this on the show last week. She was the person most closely targeted by redistricting, and redistricting took four or five. I mean, took five people away from us that would have won otherwise. They really wanted Sherilyn Stevenson. In fact, I saw like Democratic or Republican Party staffers like taunting her on Twitter like years ago that like we're going to redistrict you out of your seat. They like were yelling at her like on social media that they were going to do that to her. And she won. She won her seat. Won it by thirty five votes, which is is nuts. Man, uh, she'll never. It seems like she's never going to have a race that's not just. A nail biter. She, she, yeah, and she wins them all. She's a boss. <laughs> know, she's won every one of them. She's incredible. What a politician. What a what what an incredible win for Sherilyn Stevenson. I mean, just really incredible stuff from her. Uh, you know, she's she's we. I'm the, one of the first guests on the show. I mean, she's great. I mean, she came up to us years ago and was like, "I want to be on your show," and we were like, "Yeah," made friends with her, and she's just dominated. I mean, she's done yeah. so great. Uh, she so. Was- the first person who ever came to us yeah 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 pretty cool stuff but what i want for her next time is like a a thousand vote win where she just gets to sit back on election night i mean yeah she has (laughs) she has had two elections that have been less than 100 votes that's crazy yeah um, another just interesting fact, the Democratic caucus is now going to be 14 women and six men. So it's like two thirds men or two thirds women, uh, which is wild, you know, almost 70% women, I think maybe 70% women. So that's, that's really something. Um, so what, what's going on? What does this all add up to? And, and really not much, you know, uh, Democrats couldn't do much to stop legislation before, uh, they can't still, I, I'm actually kind of interested in what the new Republican Republicans that won these seat means for like the, the Republican caucus. Um, you know, there were a lot of retirements on the Republican side. There were some primary defeats on the Republican side and there were some pickups. The ideological makeup of the Republican caucus is going to be different. So what they prioritize and what they want to do, that is going to, that is yet to be seen. And it's really hard for me to see what that's going to be. There are some very, very far right folks in this caucus now. 
I think some of the people who beat Democrats in these pickup seats are a little bit more moderate. So what does it mean for for the Republican caucus going into the next session? We have a couple of months before we have to worry too much about that. The Democratic leadership uh, is going to change in the Democratic caucus. Joni Jenkins, who's the House leader, retired, of course. Angie Hatton lost her seat. Uh, and, and it kind of had been just assumed that Buddy Wheatley was going to slot in as the Democratic leader. Uh, that was kind of the thing that I think a lot of people were thinking. But, of course, he lost his seat. So now it's kind of wide open. I, I don't know who's going to do it. I, you know, Derek Graham is the only person left in leadership. But I don't know if he wants the top job. There's a lot of new people. I think a lot of... The, the longer term Democrats from like central Louisville and central Lexington who've been there for a while, I don't think a lot of them are that interested in, in leading. There are some folks who've been there a few terms, Sherilyn Stevenson, you know, Joe, uh, Josie Raymond, uh, you know, you've got at this point, Lisa Wilner, uh, Nemo Kulkarni, you know, uh, a couple of folks who've been elected a few times. Um, and you know, w- w- could, I mean, Rachel Roberts, she's been there. I was going to say Rachel Roberts hasn't been as, as long as a few others, but because she won a special election to get there, but she's now been reelected twice. And yeah. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, these are all interesting, interesting things. And who those people are going to be, that is going to be decided in the early part of, of the session. So that's something we're tracking as well. Um, the thing is, uh, if this map does hold, if we are stuck with this map, the races that were lost in Louisville, Northern Kentucky, Bowling Green, I think those are immediately going to become pickup opportunities for Democrats. With good recruiting, uh, you know, getting, I think Patty Minter, Buddy Wheatley should run again. I think maybe they should look at running next year for some of these statewide offices that we have open. That might be an opportunity for them to stay sharp. Um, but I think that there's five seats in Louisville that can, that, that, we need to run in hard in 2024 that Democrats have the opportunity to pick up. Uh, you've got Patty Minter and Buddy Wheatley's seat that I think are absolutely able to be picked up. I think Angie Hatton really should run again in her district, uh, see if she can't get back into the legislature. She was great when she was there, a great voice for that community, and an important per- person uh, as far as Mountain Democrats go. Um, so, you know, in a good Democratic year, which I don't know if it's such a thing exists in Kentucky anymore, Democrats could feasibly get back to the where they were in 2020 in pretty short order or even get past it, which I think, you know, ultimately is, is something that's inevitable. You're going to pick up seats at some point. I think the biggest issue is the surgical precision at which this map was drawn. You know, it is crazy how like this, they just carved up Louisville in a way that South Louisville supported two Republican uh, House members, House seats. And they and they put them in there. They spent a bunch of money on them and got them in there. The lawsuit about the map has not been ruled upon, and it's really been a while since Judge Wingate has given an update on the lawsuit. And I think maybe, I mean, Jasmine, you kind of uh, would probably know this situation better than me. I think maybe the reason he's holding the ruling is because he plans to throw out the maps and didn't want to cause confusion before the election. Like, I don't know. Um, if if he's like, oh, this map is thrown out, but we're running on it this year, that probably would be a media story. People might get confused, and he may be sensitive to that. Um, you're nodding your head, so I'm guessing that's possible as a thing that he might be thinking. I mean, yeah, that that is possible. I I've read the lawsuit, and so I've I've heard Republicans say this is just like so. There there's this case um, that upheld maps and republicans have said this is just like this case so there's no there's no reason that these maps would be overturned um and then i've I've also talked to people um with kdp who have explained to me this is why this case is different and so i do see i do see both arguments and i i don't know what judge wingate is going to do with it yeah we'll see you know, I think given I think that there is like this possibility that Wingate and like the appellate judges in the Supreme Court um, would rule on this case because of politics, because these judicial elections are getting so much more politicized. But as we're going to get into just now, you know, Judge Shepard won big, which is in the same circuit as uh, as Judge Wingate. And, um, you know, a lot of the uh, kind of more, I call them jurists instead of partisans, the jurists mm-hmm. uh, have won all of the races this year. Um, so that could embolden maybe the Supreme Court or the district court who would rule on this before to actually make a 
ruling on the merits as opposed to just what the political outcome, uh, you know, they, they're afraid of their constituents. So I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. We will we will certainly see hopefully soon now uh, what, what will happen with this case. All right. That's all I wanted to say about the, the state legislature. The, the, the Republicans didn't they only picked up the one seat in the Senate, which was Dennis Spirits, which we already knew. Um, none of the other ones really flipped. Uh, and the Democrats didn't really come all that close, although both Rene Heinrich and uh, Teresa um, Barton did very well in their their home counties. So that's the only Senate update I have. Judicial races. Jasmine, tell us about those. A little bit better news here. All right. So first is the Supreme Court. So one of them, there, there's not a whole lot to say. So Angela Bissig easily won the fourth district seat in Louisville um, with 80% of the vote. I talked about that one last week. Um, she didn't really have a challenger that was campaigning hard or raising a lot of money. Um, and then I think this is the big one. Justice Keller will hold her sixth district seat after a very high dollar conservative challenge from Representative Joe Fisher. Um, the AP called it this morning and it looked like with 85% reported, uh, Keller had 55% of the vote. So Joe Fisher won in Henry, Owen, Grant, Pendleton, and Bracken County. Um, but he only won very narrowly in all of them. And in one of those counties, I think he only won by four votes. And um, his biggest lead in any of the counties was about, by about 200. And then Justice Keller won Shelby, Oldham, Boone, Carroll, Gallatin, Kenton, and Campbell. I think Joe Fisher really needed Boone County if he was going to beat Justice Keller. Um, Boone County is really big, and it's a really conservative part of northern Kentucky. Um, so if he was going to win, I think he had to get Boone County, and she won the county by over 2,000 votes. That's pretty wild because Judge Keller – I mean uh – Joe Fisher is like for the Boone County folks. That's like kind of their guy. I don't know if he even he may. I don't. Does he represent Boone? I don't know that he. Um, so he's in Campbell. Okay. He's from Fort Thomas, which is in Campbell County. Um, but that's. I mean, he's definitely an ideological fit with the Boone right, County. Yeah, exactly. And, and they and and he didn't win. Uh, which that's that is very interesting. Yeah. Right, so Justice Keller will keep her seat, um, and then the other Supreme Court race is the second district, um, and then con the conservative PACs and Republicans. have not reported, but it looks like Thompson is going to win every single county hey, Jasmine. in the district. You need to. Can you start over with everything you just said? Uh, you froze for me. Oh, um, okay. So I we right after I was like, that's really interesting about uh, Fisher losing in Boone County. And then the last Supreme Court race is the second district, and conservative PACs and Republican donors did not end up having the impact that they wanted there either. So Court of Appeals Judge Kelly Thompson won. Pretty big there with 62% of the vote. Some of Breckenridge and Grayson County have not reported yet, but it is looking like Judge Thompson is going to win every county in the district pretty easily. So um, I think McConnell got involved in that race. And then that same pack, Fair Courts America, paid for ads for Sean Alcott in that race, though she didn't have such a highly partisan persona the way that Joe Fisher did, um, but Republicans were certainly getting involved, um, but it did not seem to have much of an impact there as it wasn't even close. Yeah, that's big news, I think, in the Supreme Court. Like, those receipts, I mean, I was pretty worried about it, and you know, I thought it might open a new kind of era in judicial campaigning yeah. in Kentucky and it, and it may I mean this is the third or fourth cycle where we've seen Republicans really try to gin up partisan fever for judges and it just really hasn't worked any of those three times that they've tried it so well I mean we did see Chris Harris so there was a three-way primary Justice Wright um, was unseated and right. he lost in the primary against Chris Harris and Bob Conley. Mm -hmm. um, and then Chris Harris lost. And, and, and Bob Conley is one of those more 
conservative justices, but even that race was not partisan in the way that these were. So I, I don't even put that one in the same category, um, but I think it was starting to trend that way. Yeah, um, yeah. And definitely. then certainly the race in Western Kentucky versus Shay Nickel versus Whitney Westerfield, um, Whitney Westerfield's logo kind of said like constitutional conservative. So it was trending in that direction too. And, and he got beat pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah. and and so um, it kind of worked in Conley's race, even though it, it wasn't like hyper partisan. He's still a pretty conservative justice, but um, the outcomes here were were really positive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so the Court of Appeals in the Fourth District, um, which is the two Louisville seats, two sitting judges, one seats on the higher court. District Court Judge Annette Karam beat Representative Mackenzie Cantrell in a really close race. It was decided by less than 4,000 votes, which was less than 2%. And then Circuit Court Judge Audra Eckerly beat Appellate Attorney Trisha Lister in a less close race for the other seat, getting nearly 60% of the vote. Karam and Eckerly both had their share of like negative media t- attention in the last couple years. Eckerly for jailing an observer in the courtroom um she also had an article written for muting an attorney on zoom um during the pandemic and then judge karam was covered for instituting a triage docket in district court that resulted in incarcerated people sometimes not receiving timely preliminary hearings that they're entitled to and she wouldn't suspend the docket until um, there was a writ filed against her, and she still didn't suspend the docket until the media covered the story about the writ, and then she finally did. And so um, there was a lot of, there'd been a lot of coverage about both of those judges, like in 2020. And, but I was, I was not surprised by the Eckerly outcome at all because she had name recognition for already being a judge, and she's a really good campaigner. She was at every event. She is a Sacred Heart alum. She has a big campaign team, and she's really good at it. Um, but the Karam and Mackenzie Cantrell race, I thought that that could be Mackenzie Cantrell's race to lose. Um, Annette Karam, I don't think she got a single endorsement. She wasn't even endorsed by the FOP or the GOP who does endorse in judicial races. And she didn't get the Citizens for Better Judges endorsement or any labor endorsements or anything like that. And so I was I was a little bit surprised by that outcome. But Karam is, I guess, a name in Louisville. And so that certainly takes her somewhere. I think a lot of the natural constituencies for Mackenzie Cantrell, which are like upper middle class white liberals uh like me um and and, you know also just like democrats more generally because she's been an important part of the democratic caucus in the house for a long time like there's a lot of people like us that don't really pay that close attention to the intricacies of judicial elections that know karen because i think like like they live here they live like in the highlands like they're Mm -hmm. around here there are a lot of people who i was like kind of surprised to see have carom signs in their yard and i was kind of like you know that that person's not that not that great she's not a very good judge uh and and i hope you vote for mckenzie but yeah it, it was just it felt like with mckenzie like she was pushing a boulder up a hill and i think a lot of us thought it would be a smaller boulder uh and it just ended up not being um for her she she did come pretty close but i think a lot of us had hoped and expected she would win i think after i saw the primary i knew she was in big trouble. right i i think that that's what i was about to say i think initially i i thought it was hers to lose but i think once we saw primary results it, it became clear it was going to be very tough um and so the two new court of appeals judges from louisville will be judge Karam and judge eckerly um we do have another court of appeals race in the sixth district but like justice keller judge suzanne Citrullo was able to stave off a conservative challenger um and robert winter and, and the margin was pretty very similar to the keller and joe fisher race hmm. and so um another positive outcome there 
And then um, just a couple circuit court races that I wanted to mention. Um, you already mentioned Robert Judge Philip Shepard kept his seat in a very, very expensive circuit court race. And it, it really wasn't close. They called it very early. And then Judge Mary Shaw, who's the judge who signed the Breonna Taylor warrant, lost her seat in a close race in Jefferson County. This one, I'm surprised that she wasn't campaigning harder because it became very clear to me after the primary. The primary, the margin was very close between all three candidates. I mean, the third place candidate was like right there with 30% of the vote. And so she, it, it seems like she should have known she was in trouble and she should have been out in the community and it seemed like she was just relying on her Citizens for Better Judges endorsement. She put it on the sign. And to carry her. But I, I just didn't... I didn't really see her campaigning. Um, yeah. And so she lost her seat. And that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> So and, um, and I will say, like the reason we're paying attention to this is because Mary Shaw was the judge who signed the, you know, the a, a warrant in the Breonna Taylor case, which you already mentioned. But like, yeah, I mean, being out in the community uh, would be important if you want to keep your seat in the wake of that. Uh, and yeah. I guess also is a little awkward um, for her. I don't know, uh, you know, carrying that badge for the rest of her career. So you know, that's just. I mean, yeah, I think it is, but. There, there are judges who have gotten a lot of negative attention for various things, and if you want to keep your seat, you have to try to try to overcome that. And you know, I think they someone another judge reached out to the Courier Journal, and they kind of did like a late piece on her opponent, and that didn't work either. So you know, I think. I think you have to work hard to mm -hmm. um, maintain your seat, and and I don't I don't think she did that. Yeah, there's a couple of judicial candidates I expected to run a little harder, and I I, I mean I for me for it was pretty illustrative for me here in Louisville with all all these races to see like the candidates that work the hardest generally win. Um, which I think that's good, because I think in the past I've been like, man, this just feels random, uh, and it's really mm -hmm. hard to tell. Like, you just gotta gotta have a name, or just flip a coin, and it did feel like like that effort really was meaningful this time, and if you wanna win, you gotta work. Uh, that was kind of a takeaway I had this time. Yeah, I think there were a couple races where, you know, I saw people work really hard and, and get beat pretty bad, um, but for the most part, people that worked really hard saw those results. The last one I wanted to mention was that both Bashir-appointed male judges lost to women in Lexington. And I see both of these as pretty big defeats. Both of these judges had the support of most local attorneys I know in Lexington. Um, I talked to s several people about some of these races just to kind of see what other people thought since I've been outside the Lexington community for a while now. The family court race was extremely close. That was Carl Devine versus Tiffany Yar, and it looks like Tiffany Yar, um, who was the FOP endorsed candidate, won by less than a hundred votes. Hmm. So that one was extremely close, and, and Carl Devine had all the other endorsements and a lot of community support. And then the other race was Jeffrey Taylor versus um, Diane Minifield, who was a county attorney. She had the Seafair endorsement. Jeffrey Taylor. I think is maybe more moderate ideologically and maybe that hurt him because Lexington has become, you know, a pretty democratic place. And so people didn't vote for him, mm. but attorneys I know all supported him, um, but he lost by a pretty big margin. Um, and so I think, you know, it's one of those things where if, if people don't, you know, know the people running very well, they do tend to vote for women. Democratic women. And I, mm -hmm. I think that's what happens here with judicial candidates as well. Yeah, that's a that's a big that's a big thing. Yeah, for sure. I will say that on in Louisville, there's like uh, one former PD that's going in in the circuit court level and two former PDs that are going in on the district court level. And that's kind of that's a lot of 
former public defenders um, to win judicial races here in Louisville. Um, hopefully it's the start of a trend, having diversification of both sides of the bar on the, on the, on, you know, as people in robes, I think is important. I'm sure you yeah. think that too. So, and our friend Yvette De La Guardia won and becomes the first elected Latina judge yeah. in Kentucky. Yeah, as well, it's really cool. Um, and you know, uh, we'll talk some more about elected Latinas later. So there's more, but yeah, congratulations to Yvette. She's the best. Um, let's talk a little bit about the constitutional amendments. I think this is the best news of the night. I think that this was the most clear, obvious, and on a you know just biggest victory for liberals, Democrats folks who are on that side of things uh really probably since the bashir win in 2019 um so both constitutional amendments one and two lost statewide yesterday um amendment one actually did slightly better than amendment two it won by eight instead of four what it is kind of interesting because amendment one which is the amendment that would have changed how the legislature could call itself into session ended up having 100,000 fewer votes than Amendment 2. Amendment 1, if you saw the ballot, was, like, really long. I mean, I would say it's, like, 400 words. And I think that sounds like about 100,000 people read it and were like, I don't know what this is. I'm not going to vote on it. And just Which, dis- is, which is pretty smart. If, if, if you, you don't know what you're doing. Ten, yeah. yeah, I'd rather people do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I would rather, like... I would rather for uh, for legislators to put concise constitutional amendments onto the ballot. You know, like let's find a way to write it so that it's more concise. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a way to do that. Um, but Amendment Two, which was the uh, abortion amendment, which would have banned abortion uh, from the Constitution, uh, it lost by about four points. Which that's. I, you know, I had hoped that we would win. I, I mean, I saw that in Kansas. They won by 10. Uh, but, you know, it was one of those things where I had a lot of hope, and I just wanted to kill that hope inside me because I, I often get too optimistic. Uh, but we we won. I mean, Jasmine, how, how did you feel about that when you saw that finally happen uh, late last night? I was just so relieved. And and I felt, I felt the same way. I usually am filled with dread. I told you this the other day. We both have birthdays really close to election day. And uh, Matt Bevan won the gubernatorial election on my birthday. And that was my first, like, terrible birthday. And I was like, since then, just my birthdays are just, like, filled with anxiety and dread. Like around because of elections, I think and it's terrible. I love. I mean, <laughs> I love the fall. You know, I love I know, the weather. I love, I love, I love the football leaves. and basketball season starting. <laughs> I, I love yeah. baseball. That's when the playoffs are. Yeah. Like you know, I that's when the World Series is. The Cubs won the World Series on my birthday a couple years ago. That was exciting. I was like, there's no way the Cubs are going to win the World Series, and then Donald Trump is going to be elected president, and both of those things happened. Yeah, and uh, you know, but. Just like always when it's my birthday, always when it's in this time of year that I love the most, I am just filled with just like anxiety and dread. And yeah, I would say it's about elections. And this year it was definitely about Amendment 2, which was rejected. I will say Kentucky wasn't the only state that had this on the ballot. Michigan, California, and one other place had it on the ballot. I think New York. And it abortion, abortion activists, abortion rights activists won all four of those states. And I think people were the most surprised by Kentucky, but just like the margins in places like Michigan, like Michigan, it won by like 20 Michigan Democrats had a great night for them. So that, that was probably Mm -hmm. a, you know, kind of more, maybe a little bit more of a local situation. Um, But even in New York where Democrats had a terrible night, uh, they, they still won that by like 40, 40 points. Yeah. But, but I did, even though like I am normally filled with dread since 2015 and have, pretty rightfully so i i've usually like been pretty correct about predictions i felt hopeful about amendment two and i i mean i kind of got it i mean i got it right this time too i i said i tweeted on november 4th i think that we'll lose seats in the legislature but that both amendments will be defeated wow they, wow you you really crushed it there jasmine you, you yeah nailed- the thing the thing i said 
wrong on the show last week, though, is that I felt okay about Patty Mentor's seat. And that I think that was me being hopeful because I visited Bowling Green recently and I was like, man, this is a cool city. I like Bowling Green. Unfortunately, was, she only runs in very, uh, she only runs in about half of Bowling Green now, which is yeah, the problem there. Um, yeah. I will say, like, the way that it broke down in the elections, and this is true of both places, is Amendment 1 and Amendment 2 won huge in the urban areas. Amendment 2 cleared, like, 110,000 or more votes out of Louisville alone. It was, like, a 70-30 thing in both Louisville and Lexington. Lexington actually outpaced Louisville in terms of percentage, and so it cleared, like, I don't know, like 180,000 or something votes out of those two counties um, and then was able to actually win several other places. A lot of places along I-64 and along I-71 all the way up to northern Kentucky. I think uh, no on two and no on one, one in both Campbell and Kenton counties. In urban areas, it was huge. It's a stark, stark divide in places like Paducah, places like Murray, Moorhead, um, Ashland. I mean, you name a small town, a small city in this state, it voted no on two, and the surrounding county all voted <laughs> yes on two. So, I mean, that that's the, the urban-rural divide is not just about Louisville and Lexington. It is about all of these smaller cities as well. Those places are more liberal and more willing to go along with, uh, with Democratic positions on things than the places around them. The difference, I think, between Amendment 1 and Amendment 2 is that Eastern Kentucky was was definitely no on one and definitely yes on two. That was a big, big difference. And I think one of the things that kind of led to the difference in the, the percentages, uh, not a lot of votes in Eastern Kentucky anymore compared to the other regions of the state, but that was kind of what, what the, the dynamics of that. So what does it all mean? With one rejected, most of the things will remain the same with the legislature. Giving them the ability to call themselves back in a session was bad. We're not doing that. Uh, with two rejected, things are a little bit more more complicated. I had to, you know, uh, gently correct your husband this morning, uh, Jasmine, about this. Uh, it does not make abortion legal in Kentucky, unfortunately. Uh, what it does is it opens the door for a lawsuit to make abortion legal in Kentucky. Right now, it's there are laws against it, but the right to privacy, as it's written into the Con- Kentucky Constitution, is more direct and more like obvious than it is even in the United States Constitution. Uh, that's from other legal people who say that uh, I I read it and agreed with them, but uh, I am not reading it with a legal eye for sure. But the people who do that, they say that, that that's what's there. Um, it will be really interesting to see what happens with this lawsuit. It was not like an evenly distributed vote. Uh, across the state uh angela bissick better vote <laughs> against uh uh you know in favor of abortion because you know 70 percent of her constituents are are for this uh f- you know for this amendment but it's not evenly spread around around the seven supreme court justices i would say like a majority of the supreme court districts probably voted yes i haven't done the math there yet um but that's something that i think uh, we will see um, so what will happen will be interesting. But like I mentioned, uh, with the, the, the map lawsuit, I do wonder if like this, the fact that all of these like jurists beat out these partisans across the state, the justices aren't more willing to vote, you know, on the merits of the law along with what's in the constitution, uh, then to say, well, my district voted against, like they voted yes on two, so I better uh, vote to strike this down. Uh, I wonder. Um, definitely something we've been tracking and will continue to track into the future. Anything more about like the details or functions of either of these amendments, Jasmine? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I think it's just important to know that we've still banned abortion in Kentucky. And, you know, I I think that What's frustrating is is that we have a supermajority Republican legislature who put these amendments on the ballot. The people have said, no, we don't want these things. And they're probably going to continue to do things that the majority of the people don't want. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Um <laughs> You know, they don't respond to the 70% of Louisville and the 70% of Lexington that do that. They respond to the, you know, probably 55 to 65% of their district that voted yes on the amendment. Um, And that is just how this representative democracy works when you don't have thresholds for party. Um, You know, 
parliamentary systems are great for that. They're bad for other reasons, but uh, we do not have a parliamentary system in the United States. We have the system we've got. So that's correct, Jasmine. I think your analysis is spot on there. The last thing we have to talk about today are some local races. So uh, we did have the two biggest cities in Kentucky that had mayor's races. We need to talk about those and some other stuff along with those uh, in those cities. So Craig Greenberg scored a six-point win against Bill Deeriff in Louisville. He only got 52% of the vote, which is the lowest for a Democrat since 2010 when Greg Fisher got 51% and only won by two percentage points. Greenberg did the best in Central and West Louisville. I think that's what you expect when you're a Democrat in Kentucky. He um, he continued to win by about 20 percentage points in the precinct all the way out to about the Watterson Expressway. Um, Between the Watterson Expressway and the Gene Snyder Freeway, things were pretty mixed. Bill Deeriff won some areas. Craig Greenberg won some areas, but it was pretty even across that. And then once you got outside of the Snyder, it was big-time deer of territory. Um, he got more than 1,000 votes in a precinct outside of the Snyder. Um, so that is how, how that kind of went in terms of the geography of the vote. The best areas for Greenberg outside of the old city of Louisville were northeast Louisville, like northeast Jefferson County, kind of along 71 and kind of like along the river. Uh, and uh, the s- south Louisville uh, was not as, as good. And that is kind of traditional Democratic territory. And, and the northeast part of the county is kind of like more emerging Democratic territory. And that was kind of a trend because we did see Metro uh, Democratic Metro Council members Marcus Winker and Paula McCraney, who were pickups in 2018. They were able to retain their seats, be reelected against pretty strong challengers in both of those races. And then Amy Holton Stewart and Mark Fox. Mark Fox had been there for a long time. Amy, St- Amy Holton Stewart had not been there for quite as long, but they both lost in South Louisville, um, which is really tough. Amy Holton Stewart, especially, I really like her. Um, I, I don't know Mark Fox as well, but he's always been, you know, a strong voice for South Louisville Democrats. Uh, so it's too bad that they lost. But I think that that's kind of like emerging, kind of the, the trends in how Louisville is going with South Louisville perhaps getting a little bit more Republican, kind of matching its Bullet County neighbor, and then Northeast Jefferson County getting a little bit more uh, progressive. The margin for Greenberg was smaller than that of Charles Booker, Morgan McGarvey, and both amendments. And, and I think that has to do maybe with Craig Greenberg, Bill DeRiff, and Greg Fisher. I, I suspect all three had a little bit to do with it, but I, if I had to pick one of those three, I would say it was Greg Fisher. Um, Jasmine, do you agree with that, or you think uh, it was more about Bill DeRiff or, or Craig Greenberg that led to the margin that we see here? Mm, yeah, I think you're probably right. I, th- I think... I think second might be Bill Dureff. I I think there was a lot of people who, like, do, especially in that, like, East End area, since he was a nonpartisan mayor, I think there were people who, like, did see him as, like, a reasonable, not super partisan Republican. I agree. I would say I would rank them as Greg Fisher one, Bill Dureff two, and then Craig Greenberg three. Um, I I actually think that this, this race was a huge opportunity for Republicans. Looking at how like a lot of the races for state legislature went, kind of the, the just the national environment with Joe Biden being very unpopular in the country, inflation being so high, frustration with Greg Fisher just astronomical uh, out of you know uh, the Breonna Taylor situation. So you have frustrations on both the right and the left in the city. I mean, Republicans were were kind of ripe, and they picked a guy like you said who was a very reasonable, a really good candidate. Um, I, I mean, I, I really do think Bill Deerf was a good candidate pretty much all the way through. He kind of did what he needed to do in order to establish himself as legitimate. And I think the thing is, I think Craig Greenberg noticed what was going on and was actually able to put together the race that he needed to run to win and ended up winning by six points, which is not that close. You know, that's actually what Andy Bashir said uh, when he was introducing Craig Greenberg at the victory party last night. It was like, I know close elections. This wasn't a close election. Uh, and and I, I I think that that's that's maybe correct uh, i mean so so i think that the like this is a pretty pretty impressive thing i think from from craig greenberg uh, six points in a, a louisville mayor's race isn't going to impress a lot of people in history but i think looking back on it we may forget that but i think right now i'm looking at it and saying like this was a big chance for republicans and they weren't able to put it together um, yeah i agree bill Deerov, he was a good candidate especially if you saw him speak and go to events he was he was just really comfortable in front of groups and he was comfortable in front of like 
immigrant populations. He was comfortable going to the West End. He he didn't shy away from going to all parts of the city. And so when he's when he's not telling he wasn't really telling people he was a Republican. And mm-hmm. so I think he was like doing a good job of of getting people on his side. And so I, I think he was the right candidate for Republicans to put up a good challenge. I, I don't know if I've told you this, Jasmine, but, uh, you know, in the work that, that I've done to advocate for universal pre-K in, in Louisville, I, I actually, like, had like an hour long sit down with Bill Deeriff at the beginning of this cycle uh, and, and sat down and talked to him with like two on one. It was me and one other person in him uh, where we were just talking about pre-K. And I will say like, you know, I walked away like knowing I, I didn't necessarily agree with this guy, but thinking he was incredibly reasonable and just a really personable candidate. I, I walked out of that like as a, a Democrat with my other hat on thinking like, oh, this is going to be tough. Like and, and really, you know, he is really good in groups. He's also super good one on one or just like in those small group interactions where mm-hmm. he really makes you feel like you're part of something. He wants to build something with you. You know, I don't know what the future holds for B- Bill Deeriff. You know, he's he's kind of in a tough spot like a lot of Democrats in the state state are right he's kind of the opposite situation where he's this republican in louisville um you know he was already the mayor of j-town i don't know maybe he wants to run for like state house maybe he wants to you know do something with uh, the the city in some form or fashion but you know he's he's a pretty he's done a pretty good job uh in in j-town at least the people there seem to think so so i don't know what the future holds for him but he he wasn't able to pull it out this time and i think that that's a lot of credit to craig greenberg and his team for being able to do that Last thing about Louisville, um, Louisville also returned four incumbents to the JCPS school board after Liberty Challengers uh, ran really aggressive campaigns against all four of them. Um, three out of the four races weren't close at all. James Craig represents probably the most anti-JCPS district in the city. Uh, I think it's it's a toss-up between him and, and Sarah Cole McIntosh uh, for who has the hardest district to win. And, and James Craig was able to win re-election after this like very education-forward period that we've had uh, where a lot of people in that district were really worried. I think Rand Paul was actually in Louisville doing like a rally for like his opponent like that's pretty big for like the senate candidate for the republicans to do a rally for your opponent and still win it's pretty 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 good for him um i think the fact that all four of them managed to win is a big win for for groups like jcta the teachers union better schools kentucky which is the pack that's associated with the teachers union and i think also just the people who realize critical race theory is like a law school curriculum and not something we teach kindergartners like all of us that believe that had a good night uh with the jcps school board anything about the school board you wanted to mention yeah i live in james craig's district and and even like went to a forum on that race and i i was really worried about it because some of these liberty challengers these are nonpartisan races and so these challengers did a pretty good job of acting normal yeah and and so it wasn't they they didn't always like show their true colors at at some of these things and and it was really close he won by a thousand votes or a hundred was it a hundred i think it was closer to a thousand i think he won by a thousand votes and and he also had a challenger yeah on his left left, Mm -hmm. who who got about 3700 votes i think and and so she got like 11 percent of the vote yeah 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 and so that that was a really tough race and i'm i'm glad to see that he's representing yeah i i really like james craig like i you know i know that there's a lot of people who've been frustrated with him for for this or that reason but i think he's a really good part of that school board especially for that district um you know he was the one that you know was kind of the one that's saying during the COVID times that you know we need to explore going back we need to explore removing the mask mandate and i do know that that led a lot of like more progressive people in his district to float towards that other further left candidate but he was able to put together the coalition and win so impressive for him i mean impressive for all four of them i think Corey shull i'm not even going to say their names because i think diane porter and i forget uh oh yeah linda Linda duncan Duncan. yeah we got it all right he won big yeah they all all the other three was not close and 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 also steve gillum was like the best of the liberty challengers like by far the most put together the most in in yeah and james craig beat him so there you go last thing of all that we're going to talk about is that linda gorton 
won her election by quite a bit. She got 71% of the vote uh, to David Kloiber's 29%. Um, both of those people came on the show. Um, I was really impressed with both of them. Um, but I will say, like, after interviewing them both, I was like, you know, Linda Gordon starting with such a head start. It's going to be really tough for David Kloiber to, like, break a, a, against it. Um, uh, it. It'll be interesting to see, like, what happens because he ran is linda gorton going to change the way that she governs the city um based on being pushed on by cloiber on some some of these issues like homelessness and and like economic development we'll, we'll see um there really wasn't that much geographic differentiation in the map david cloiber got about 30 percent of the vote in every precinct in the entire county uh linda gorton man lexington's just a linda gorton town they just really like her uh i'm not surprised by that but uh yeah that's a. Uh, that's kind of how it goes. Uh, on the LFUCG Council, there is some cool stuff going on there. Um, yeah. There will be several new faces. Shayla Lynch defeated an incumbent, uh, Josh McKern. Tanya Fogel, who we talked about during the primary, form, uh, I think she's an organizer with KFTC. Uh, I think she was. Uh, she used to go around talking a lot about the restoration of voting rights for former felons. I think she herself has uh, had uh, to have her voting rights restored, and she has a really cool story about that. Now it's getting even cooler. She's going to serve on the LFUCG Council. Uh, Brenda Monterez won her race by 10 points for District 4. She's going to become the first Latina elected into the LFUCG Council and one of the first Latinas on uh, to be elected uh, like in the whole state. Um, and uh, Denise Gray, who we had on the show several years ago when she was running for state Senate, uh, she won her race for LFUCG Council by 10 points as well. So that's four new women of color that are going to be on the LFUCG Council, three black women. Um, it, it, that's that's really cool. I think that that's yeah. a, a big a big change for Lexington to, to really kind of push it in, in a different direction, make their make their governing body a lot more diverse. In addition to that, Dan Wu is going to become the vice mayor. An immigrant from China will become the vice mayor of Lexington. He's cool. He's got a, the noodle shop. Isn't that right? What's does, does it have a name? What's the name of it? Atomic Ramen. Atomic Ramen. Oh, I want to get yeah. some ramen. And we actually had Tana Fogel on the show, but like way back in You're, the day too. You were right. We did have Tana Fogel on the show. That's exactly right. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, um, yes. So Dan Wu is going to be the vice mayor, though. Uh, he got twenty one percent of the vote for council at large. Uh, James Brown, who's also a black man, will be uh, on the council at large, and Chuck Ellinger are the other people who won uh, seats on uh, this council at large uh, portion of the LFBCG council, and that's basically just uh council people who are elected by the whole city if you're not in lexington and don't know what that means all right well uh okay that's that's election 2022 uh i will say a lot of mixed emotions but i just am always prepared to be crushed and anytime it's not crushed you know feeling good the rest of the country you know i feel okay about you know the u.s senate i feel like you know democrats may hold a majority there it's it's going to be really close in the house which i was not expecting i'll tell you that's not what i was thought was going to happen in in january that's for sure uh and you know there were a lot of things that went up and down but uh yeah it has been quite the election season putting this one to bed uh, i said jasmine uh i want to ask you when is it appropriate for me to put out my andy Bashir for governor yard sign Ooh, um, January? <laughs> January. All right, done. I'll put it out in January. We'll see what happens. I think I still got it from 2019. Maybe I'll buy a new one. All right. Uh, anything else you want to say about any race whatsoever, Jasmine? I don't know. I, I think we covered it all. But, no, I think you're you're right. This feels like a a net positive election day, which we haven't always gotten in recent cycles. And to see these nonpartisan races go well and to see the amendments defeated feels those feel like really big victories and the federal races outside of Kentucky going much better than expected. Um, that, that feels really positive. And, and I, I think you, you tweeted this and you said that, you know, the issues, win and and that we can win nonpartisan races so it it's kind of a an issue with democratic messaging and and i don't know i don't know where we start with that and and i think we talk about that every election day because we just continue to lose seats in the state legislature but um something has to give there we but 
this time around, the the story certainly seems to be redistricting. Yeah, it, it can't be. I mean, the the big issue in Kentucky is just that all of the liberals, all of the Democrats, all the people that believe in these issues, all live in basically the same place. Uh, the person who had the biggest margin in the state house at least in louisville was josie raymond who had a contested election and actually won by more than people who didn't have a contested election so it is just the fact that like you know we're having these huge huge margins in very liberal places and we're just not able to win in rural areas which gives us the ability to win some of these statewide elections every once in a while um but yeah it is i think it's literally just the democratic brand which i mean people just see alexandria ocasio-cortez not even for the person that she is but just for the caricature that she's become on the right um they see nancy pelosi they see uh barack obama they see like faces of people who um you know are caricature by the the by the fox newses of the world by the breitbarts of the world by all of these kind of weird right-wing things um and not you know they don't see patty minter they don't see buddy wheatley they don't see angie hatton um and uh you know i i just think it's incumbent on us to build a more inclusive politically diverse you know party that accepts people um and and meets them where they are that's hard work though i do think we've kind of started it i think charles booker's part of it i think i mean i think amy mcgrath was part of it and you know it's gonna take a lot of work and a lot of losing we've been doing it for a while uh and then someday someday we'll win um yeah that's it all right that's election 2022 jasmine how can people get a hold of us they can find us on twitter and instagram at my old ky pod They can like our Facebook page and listen to our podcast on the podcast app of their choice. We also have a Patreon page where you can support what we're doing for as little as a dollar a month. You can do that at patreon.com slash my old Kentucky podcast. We also have a newsletter. You can subscribe to it at tinyletter.com slash my old Kentucky newsletter. And Robert also has maps that I'll (laughs) shout out this week uh, since he's doing maps You can find those at kypoliticaldata.com. And last but not least, we're part of the Dimcast Network and the Forward Kentucky Network. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will see you in two weeks.